And we talked about if God is the preeminent being, and then that was our response. We had to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, today, the question, according to Benjamin Keach and my rewording it, is, is there a God? Does he exist? And, of course, we could just end the sermon right here because if you remember that, that sunny night that I preached in view of call, I was in Psalm 19, and we talked about the three different things. We're going to look at some other scriptures that give the same answer. And the reason this is important is not because you don't think God exists. It's not because you don't think you could have some answers from the Bible. Uh, catechisms, questions and answers, and then, of course, the scripture proofs, they're designed to, uh, it's like repetition, right? Repetition is the best teacher. I mean, I remember uh, just before I started kindergarten, that was back when you went half a day, and I think I was in the afternoon class because I was an older one. But before school started that year, that summer, you know, I was already five that March of 67. And um, mom had been working with me on numbers and ABC. So I could count to 100 with no problem. Then I could keep on and keep on. And I remember I got in my first, you know, week of kindergarten. Of course, the teacher's going to take you back there to test you on your numbers, your ABCs, while other people are playing blocks and everything. And I got to about... I got, I went 101, 102, 103, and of course, that's enough, Steve. Okay, thank you, Mrs. Moss, and and then I did my ABCs, and it only went to 26 letters, fortunately, but but she said that's enough. But the point is, is the reason I knew that by the time I walked in there that first week is because me and Mama and my older sister that was three years older, she would work with me, because my sister became a teacher eventually, but, um, you know, just repetition. So although this will be repetitious as far as what that sermon would have told you. We're just using more New Testament scriptures about how the scriptures tell us how God has revealed himself that he does exist. But yet at the same time, you know, we, we run into people every day. And matter of fact, the text is even going to deal with it where uh, a lot of people, the text is going to say they know there's a God, but they deny him thereof. And they would rather, you know, that, that to the Jew it's going to be a stumbling block. Uh, because they're looking for signs and, and miracles. To the Greek, it's all about wisdom. And really, they don't really want to just know what's true. They just want to be philosophical. You know, that's what Paul's going to bring out. And that's why Paul's going to bring out one of those evidences that there is a God is this through the simple gospel that we preach. And, and that's why God chose the foolishness of preaching to save people. He didn't he didn't choose to use miracles to convince people. He didn't choose to choose some level of wisdom and intellectual ascent to, to, to open people's eyes. He chose the, the foolishness, as far as man's concerned, the foolishness of preaching of a very simple gospel. I mean, we know Jesus came to this earth. Uh, he lived a sinless life. He died for man's sins, and God rose from the dead. I mean, that's basically the, the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15, you know, and that's, that's it. But yet you and I know that once that simple story, God births it in your heart, it, it's, it's, it's a transcending story now. Because in his wisdom, that's why he designed it that way. Because that way, if I'm up here preaching the gospel or you're sharing the gospel on those elements of the gospel, and someone basically raises their hand like on the day of Pentecost says, what must I do to get saved? You know, well, re repent and believe, you know. When that happens... It's not because you had a good sales technique or you had just the right answer, not that you don't need to have the right answer, but 
It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with everything about God. He opened their eyes with the foolishness of that sharing of the gospel, that simple story that has such a profound effect once God opens the eyes. And so we're going to talk about how do we know there is a God? Does God exist? And I put down the answer here. We know there is a God by a threefold witness that there is only one God. And of course, that threefold witness we're going to find in the scriptures, but the scriptures is going to point us three different directions as to where uh, God has proved that he is a God. I mean, therefore, we'll see here in a little bit in Romans 1, man has no excuse. And I know the first thing you're going to ask is the first thing I used to ask when my pastor would say that. I said, well, what about that little New Guinea bushland man that never heard the gospel? And my pastor would say, well, he's got enough general revelation that if he sought God out, you know, this God of the sun or the God of the, of the, of the, of the crops, if he sought him out, God would figure out a way to present him the gospel. So man is without excuse. And then that's the awesome thing. When I think back to my salvation, not that, not that I was a little New Guinea bushland man, okay? But I was taught from the beginning, God created everything. So I knew that intellectually. I thought, well, that must be true because mom and daddy said it's true. Uh, Pastor Barger says it's true. My son's good. So intellectually, I thought, okay, God made everything. I, didn't, I couldn't figure it out. And I also was taught that God sent his son to die on the cross for sinners. So intellectually, even though I didn't fully understand that, obviously, spiritually, I believed it. So in that northern pew of Central Baptist, and the light came on, I, know who, I knew who I was coming to. I knew what I needed to do because those, those seeds were planted. Those basic, general information was given to me, and God used that to make it revelation. So we're going to use the idea of repetition when we go through some of these questions. We're going to use the idea of very elementary stuff in the sense of uh, we probably don't even need to discuss, does God exist? Is there a God? I mean, because I know that every one of you say, yeah, 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 there's one. But, you know, it's just good exercise. The first text I'd like to use is in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and it's probably a familiar text to many of you, if not all of you, but Romans chapter 1, and we're only going to be in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, and then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1, so we'll kind of be in the general area, but Romans chapter 1, in verses 18 through 25, Paul is going to tell the church of Rome, he's going to tell us, there is the witness of the natural, and I've made mention to it before, you know, through all creation and everything. But there is a witness of the natural that reveals, at worst case scenario, it reveals there is a God. There is someone out there that's ordered everything, right? And of course, because we're reading it from Scripture, and maybe we learned the Scripture, we say, oh, well, it's the God of the Bible. But let's just say you're out there, you've never really understood the Bible, it's not really been taught to you. I had a friend who looked up in the Montana skies, he said when he was growing up in Bozeman, Montana, he says, I know there's a God out there because he was growing up a Lutheran. He was getting catechized and different things, but he didn't know God. But when he lived somewhere out here and went to church with me and worked with Nordam, he said that's when he put over the side of the road and says, I know that God now. It's Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to Christ. But it was those little seeds, the general <coughs> knowledge that he had 
then he sought God out, and God gave him an opportunity to hear the gospel. So look at Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 through 15, and let's look at verse 18 through 21st. Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest. In other words, what general knowledge can be known of God is manifest. Or is it manifest in them? For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He says the witness of just nature, of the natural, reveals that there's a God with power to make all this stuff, keep it in order, to sustain it. There's a God that, uh, in this creation, it reveals these attributes. I mean, if anything, uh, you and I could say scientifically, if we, if we did real science for creation, like, you know, the old um, how things grow type science, not all the other stuff, we would understand order. There's order to things. If we're dissecting a frog, there's an order of things. You know, those kind of that kind of science, we would see order. Uh, if we don't, well, then we're just not looking at what we're looking at. And so, uh, so they. But he says these people, all these people on the earth that are lost, although there is a witness of the natural, they suppress these invisible attributes that have been revealed about God. These invisible attributes that they have seen. They suppress them. They suppress them when they look at God's creative work. I can still remember going to my grandparents about two weeks every summer from age 10 to maybe 15 until I could work at the Tasty Freeze with Mr. and Mrs. McRae and Bruce and different ones. And so one time I was there, and of course, Grandma always had a nice garden. They probably had a victory garden back in World War II. So I always had a nice garden. And I told Grandma, I said, I want to... I wanna, I want to. I want to grow something. So she gave me a little package of mustard seeds. I was like, okay, okay. I guess it's some kind of herb. So at my house, there was this carport, and this carport was a little dirt over there by the front door that Mama grew some kind of marigolds or something. But there was a little bricked-up area over here with a, a evergreen tree in front of it. Hardly ever got any sun, just dirt. So you know what I did? I didn't even dig. I just threw it in there. Okay. I guess I'll grow something. And you know what happened? I grew a mustard seed plant right there. I mean, I just threw it on top of the dirt. And by the time the summer and the fall, I, there was this big mustard seed plant. Just that right there should tell me that there's something bigger than me that made that, I mean, bigger than that plant that made that happen. I mean, it germinates all that stuff. Well, you know what? People see things like that. And as a little kid, I could have just said, well, it's because I got a green thumb or it's because Grandma got... I don't really know what all I thought of. I was just like, wow. I knew, I knew it was something bigger than me. I didn't suppress it. It still left an impression on me. Maybe I sought God because of it. I don't know. But he says, they suppress all these attributes that they've seen of his created work. But yet there's a witness of the natural 
that reveals God. Then in verse 21 through 23, he goes on to say, because although they knew God, let's just stop right there. Paul said they knew God. They know there's a God. They've already suppressed it, right, through the invisible attributes. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Do you see the rebellion? Do you see the resistance? Do you see a little boy maybe growing a green mustard plant and saying, there ain't no God. I did that, you know, arrogance. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. And I was a thankful little boy when I saw that. But they became futile or empty in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. 22 and 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. In other words, they made God in their image, right? They had their own philosophy about God. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And I know when we read that, we think of some tribe somewhere that I don't know, maybe they worship a poinsettia plant and light candles around it. I get it. But listen, here in America, we people have all kinds of ideas about God. They're not worshiping some graven image or some plant or some fertility God. They just got some ideas about God. Well, I mean, God wouldn't send anybody to hell, would they, Joel? And of course, Joel's answer was, no, he wouldn't. But if that's where they decide to go, that's where he's going to let them go. I mean, God doesn't just say, you know, go to hell. He's going to put you there because you want to be. But they have all these ideas about God. I had an idea about God, even though I knew he was the creator, I knew he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. I knew those things for sure intellectually. I was changing a battery once in my truck. And I was a steel fabricator. And I got home that day and I drove my truck home. But when I tried to come back out, it wouldn't start. It was the middle of hot summer. And, of course, it's the battery. So I take that battery out. I walk a mile down to Otasco with a battery in my Of course, I'm young. And I walk a mile back. I put that battery in. And how you're supposed to put in a battery is positive first and then negative second, right? Not Steve. I put in negative, got a metal burr in my finger, positive, and I mean my hair went everywhere. It went positive. But this is what went through my warped idea. I knew he was my creator. I knew intellectually he sent his son to die for me. But this is what went through my warped idea of God. God's getting me back. Because he knows if I get in this truck, I'm going to go party. I party. I'm thinking God's getting me back. And stupid me, I pushed down on it again. My, my feathered hair went everywhere. But that was my warped idea of God, you see. Like he's always trying to get you back. Now we know there's natural consequences to what Steve might have used to do. Like if you get drunk, you're going to pass out. You're going to throw up. I mean, they're just, I learned that at DUI school. You drink so much alcohol, you're going to pass out or throw up. I mean, that's common sense. That's stupidity. I mean, you're, you're poisoning your body. But these people, it says, he says, they exchange, they willfully blind themselves from the invisible attributes of God. They suppress it. And instead, they, they corrupt the idea of God and exchange it for the God that they want to believe in. Even though I didn't 
like that God that was getting me, but I was in my mind. That's the God I invented, even though I knew he loved me. Down across from myself, I'm like, but he still gets you. He still gets you. But they do the same thing, and that's what he said they're doing. They, they knew God. In other words, they knew there was a God that existed through these invisible attributes that they're suppressing. But they don't glorify him. They don't give him any kind of, like, wow or awe or credit. And he says, they're not even thankful. And their empty thoughts, instead, in their foolish hearts that get darker and darker every time, he says, what they do is they exchange God, they exchange this God, the real God, for a God of their own definition, or maybe the God of their own benefit, right? I mean, because another thing I thought is not only zap, God's getting me, but then the next thing I'm in mind, but he loves me. Talk about schizophrenia, you know? I mean, you know, yeah, he loves you, but then why would he be getting you? But that was just all, that was my warped idea of God, because I didn't know him personally. And I was very limited on what I knew here other than what I, you know, get by osmosis by hearing. So this witness of the natural reveals God and they suppress those natural attributes that are being revealed about him of order and, and God of power. They corrupt whatever knowledge they do have. They corrupt it and they suppress it, corrupt it, and then basically fashion a God of their own liking whether it's a bad God, a real good God, or I'm okay, you're okay, whatever God they want to fashion because they're not going to worship the real God, even though they know, they could know him. And then in verse 24 and 25, look at that. Therefore, we're in conclusion because these things are true. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature, that is themselves, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So how do we know there's a God? Does he exist? It comes through the witness of just the natural. But man by nature, when they see the natural... In a general way, unless God's doing something over there in their hearts, they're going to suppress whatever they do know, and then they're going to distort whatever they do know to make a God of their own fashion and form. And then ultimately, the downward spiral of all that is, unless they seek him out, is they're going to purposely turn from the idea that he even exists, because if he doesn't exist, I'm not accountable to anybody. And therefore, they would choose a lie. And the lie is, I'll just replace him. I'll either replace him with another God. I'll replace him with another habit. I'll replace him with another philosophy. I mean, you know, um, my father-in-law did not know the Lord as far as we knew when he died. And I had never heard anybody have a guttural wailing like I heard my wife in her room with the door shut all the way down the hallway. It broke her heart. Well, about two weeks ago, she's not working right now. She's kind of cleaning off her desk and everything. She found a letter from him that he wrote her probably the April after we got married. We got married November 1986, so probably April of 87. He wrote her a long letter 
and this is April of 87 when he wrote the letter, but she had told him about Jesus back in 83 when she got saved through Campus Crusade through Christ at Kansas State. She came home and because she grew up Unitarian Universalism, so maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God. Otherwise, you're okay, I'm okay. Uh, we'll just, and their philosophy was, is we'll help you find your way. And when I went to his funeral, it was at a school that they had adapted into their church. And, of course, Grandpa, being an architect, helped them do that. And they had books on everything, you know, Buddhism, Christianity, whatever, just so David could help find his way, you can find your way. They were true to their mission. So in that letter, she found, after how, how many years, she was kind of crying. She goes, will you read it to me? Because she didn't want to read it, so I read it. And basically it was saying that, you know, I appreciate your concern for me, but I'm okay, you're okay. And he says, because my Jesus, I can't think of a Jesus that's my Jesus that would send someone to hell, all those things. It was all the, the stereotypical, very intellectual approach to say, you know, that's fine for you, but it's not fine for me because my Jesus. And he kept saying, honestly, my Jesus this, my Jesus that. That's that person here. They've had a witness just from nature. And, and I mean, you think about it, when you were a little kid, maybe, did you ever look up the sky and see the stars? And, of course, maybe if you were growing up in church like I were, you didn't understand everything, but you thought, wow, this God the preacher talks about, he made those. At least, that, at least that little thing went through your mind. I don't know what went through Grandpa's mind when he would see the stars. Maybe he thought... Oh, or there are gases. He thought of some scientific explanation and whatever he thought. I don't know. But yet he had that natural witness. And instead he suppressed whatever he could understand of God. He willfully became blind to it and began to, in his corrupt mind, began to replace it with whatever his Jesus was. And ultimately, unless he came to Christ when he was having a heart attack... God says, all right, well, I'll just let you go that direction if that's what you want to do. I'll give you up to, a, to an empty mind if that's what you want. And it's heartbreaking. But yet that is, man, that is mankind. That is a picture of mankind. It doesn't matter what age we live in. That's what I love about the gospel. If all you and I had was a Bible and God just plopped Deborah somewhere in the world, Joe, everyone, we're just plopped somewhere in the world, but we got a Bible. There's only one thing that's going to keep us from sharing the gospel in that town is that maybe a language. But once we figure out enough of the language, if all you have is that Bible, you could give them light that they had never had before. All of a sudden, Deborah would be saying, well, that God, when you're growing crops, maybe she's using their language, you know, that you pray to about those crops. Well, he's not just a God that takes over. He, he, he takes over the crop. He does everything. Oh, what do you mean by that? And she just begins to explain maybe Genesis to him or maybe where Paul's talking about that unknown God. And God can use that further, as we'll see here in a little bit, that further light. And then maybe someone would come to Deborah from that little tribe and say, what must I do to come to this God? Because somehow through that fertility God, they are seeking him out. They don't know anything else. And now she's bringing clarity who this God is. God could, that would be the only thing that would keep you and I from sharing the gospel is maybe some language barrier. Otherwise, we'd have the revelation right here of God's full revelation. Because man sees nature, 
whether they want to suppress it, whether they want to be willfully blind to it, corrupt it, and, and exchange it for a lie, that's their problem. But nature has revealed there is, for lack of words, a God, right? Now that's why we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and then we'll eventually get back to 1 Corinthians 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'll get turned there myself. I even gave myself a reference. It's on page 1717. So. <laughs> Sporting this new study Bible. It's not marked up like most of the ones I use, so it takes me a little while to, to get places. But 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. We've seen in Romans chapter 1 that the witness of the natural reveals that there's at least, at best, a God, right? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, remember I, I gave you the example that Deborah's somewhere, and they believe in a God that brings the fertility of, of plants and stuff. Well, she's explaining, the, what she's going to do is say, this God that grows this plant, he's the God of the sun, he's the God of the... She's going to explain all those things to him, how he made everything there in Genesis. And then all of a sudden they're going to say, well, what must I do? Well, she's going to be a witness from the whole of scriptures. In other words, the scriptures are going to bring clarity to that general revelation that someone has through nature. It's going to give them more clarity and more specifics as to who this God is, this, this a God. Well, now he's, he's not just a God, he's the God. Second Corinthians, uh, Second Timothy, chapter three. Look at verse fourteen through fifteen. Paul says to Timothy, "For you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which, by the way, in that moment would have been Old Testament." which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so therefore Timothy heard the gospel through Paul, and he believed. So what we see here is not only is there a witness of the natural that reveals a God, there is a witness in the whole of scriptures that gives light to a redemptive God, not just a God, a general God, but now a redemptive, specific, personal God. And Paul says, Timothy, continue with what you have been assured of and continue what those you have trusted have brought to you to bring you to salvation. I made a mention ago a minute ago. I remember my mom and I talking about God making everything. I remember my Sunday school teacher having the flannel board. It might have been Noah. It might have been something. I remember Davy Barger, my pastor, preaching the gospel. didn't understand everything he was doing. But those were things that I was being told, that I learned. And then when I got saved, I leaned into those things. I didn't forget where I came from. I leaned in and learned more. I found more assurance. I found out that a pastor of a Christian church named Davy Barger didn't lie. He's telling the truth about this God, the creator that I heard about as a kid. I found out that the, the, the God that my mama ever not would say, you need to pray to God and say, thank you, God. And I'd say, wiggy wall, when I was real little, wiggy wall. 
And eventually I'd say, thank you, God. But that very God that Mama would say, you need to pray to, to say, thank you, God. I found out, and I'm assured now, he's that God. And he says, Timothy, the witness of the whole of scriptures is what gave you light. Not just that there was a God, but he's a specific, personal, redemptive God. And as you, as you minister, you've got to continue in what you've been assured of. You've got to continue in who you trusted that told you these things, that led you to that light, that led you to salvation, that led you to faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's the whole of scriptures that give that specific light that there's not just a God, but there is the God, and he sent his son to die for you, right? So once again, it's one thing to look at nature, to point people to nature. Maybe that's a good conversational starter. I don't know. My grandma Abel in West Tulsa, I would spend the night over there. There'd be a little water cooler there in the, in the, in the window that I could sleep by. It was nice and cool where I was at. They were probably hot in their bedroom with a little window fan. But when Grandpa Abel would turn off the news, he'd say, Good night, Chucky boy. And he'd walk in there and take his suspenders off and he'd get ready for bed. And Grandma would say, Come with me, little Stevie. And we'd sit there and have a little bitty cup of coffee, a lot of sugar and cream, a Lordona Duca cookie. And we would talk about God. And then we'd go on that back porch where there was a railroad track back there where Grandpa would say, Go look at the hobos. And I look out there and she said, you see them stars up there? I sure do, Grandma Abel. God made those stars. I said, really? She said, oh, yeah, God made those. that moon over there. And then she said, God made you. Now, Grandma wasn't a Bible scholar at all. But she was telling me things. And I still remember where I got it. And now I find assurance in what I heard, you see. And Paul says, continue in what you've been assured of. Continue and what you've been assured of by the very ones that you trusted that led you here, which led you to another light, that led you to another light, to where it made you wise unto salvation, Jesus Christ. He says, continue in that, because it is only the witness of the whole of scriptures that gives specific light as to who the Redeemer is. Verse 16 and 17, not only does Paul say continue in what you've been assured of, he says commit. Look at verse 16 and 17 myself. I'll get it turned there. There we go. 16 and 17. All scripture, that is the scripture that he says that made you wise unto salvation, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine or teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or perfected, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says, not only do you need to continue in what you've been assured of by the very ones you trusted that led you to a place to where you could find salvation in Jesus Christ, you need to commit to what has come from God because what they've shared with you came from God. And what came from God is profitable. It is profitable to teach you, it's profitable to instruct you, it's profitable to correct you when you need to, and it's profitable to equip you as the man of God to do the ministry. And by the way, not just the man of God, but anybody that takes it for the instruction, that takes it for the correction, that, it, that takes it for the assurance and confidence, it can, it can equip you 
to not only do ministry, but to live a godly life. So how do we know there's a God? Does he exist? Well, the witness of nature reveals that there is a God, but the witness of the whole of scriptures gives a specific light that this God that we generally know is the God of the Bible, and he sent his son to redeem you. It just leads you down a path. And last but not least, there's not just that natural witness. There's not just the scriptural witness that we have in front of us. Because like I told you last like Sunday morning, you can go to Walmart, go to any, go to any store like that, or you can go to Walmart website. You can order Bibles everywhere. Isn't that amazing? I was in my office today just kind of being OCD with my shelves and moving stuff around. I was like, Bible, 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 King James, New King James, NIV. We got Bibles all over that office. And that's awesome. They're not being wasted or anything. I don't know if we're going to use them. But the point is, is that the Word of God's there. Well, now, what if someone says, what if, what if uh, David says, yeah, but I got a friend and he doesn't want to read the Bible? Okay. Okay. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, of course, I'm like David. I think of... Uh, Romans 10, 17, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And they don't have to read it to hear the Word of God. They, they, they just need to, um, <clears throat> they need to uh, hear it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses uh, <clears throat> 18 through 25. There is the witness of the natural. There is the witness of the whole of scriptures. It gets more specific, more personal. But there's the witness a proclamation, the witness of proclamation that God uses the foolishness of that <clears throat> to reveal the gospel, to reveal that there is a God and that through Jesus Christ you can be saved. Look at verse 18 through 20. God gave a foolish method to open man's eyes. Verse 18 through 20 of 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness, now, if we stopped right there, we would say, well, that Bible's contradicted itself because the, the gospel ain't foolishness. Let's read the rest, right? Put it in context. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why is it foolishness to them? Well, because they've suppressed the truth. They've denied the truth. They've exchanged the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They like to pontificate about truth, but yet they don't want to find truth. They just want to, in their Greek world, they just want to talk about it in their intellectual conversation. But he says there that it's foolishness to those who are preaching, but to us who are being saved, that is, who are saved and being sanctified and glorified, it's the power of God. I mean, I liked my pastor, Davey Barger. He was nice to me. I know he was telling me the truth, but sitting there as a little boy, I thought, okay, what do you mean come to Jesus? What do you mean? It was just all, it went over my head, right? Because it wasn't all about intellect, but it went over my head other than what intellectually. And he says there, but to those who believe, those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In other words, I'll destroy their wisdom on how they think it needs to work. And bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, those who think they are smart. God gave a foolish method to open man's eyes. As I said before, if it had something to do with me or you giving a sales pitch 
uh, a sobby story or, or some kind of sales gimmick to get him down the aisle to come to Jesus. That would be one thing, but, but it's, it doesn't come down to that. It just means you're going to tell him the truth the best you can, what you've seen and heard and know to be true, that might be appropriate in the conversation, and it may be something very simple. It may be very elaborate, sitting down reading the Bible with them. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you're doing that you know is true, and when you're doing it, and all of a sudden the light comes on, and they go, oh. I remember dating a girl for about two weeks right after I got saved. I went to a roughneck game because I played soccer for men's soccer, so we went to the roughneck games. And this girl showed up at the game with one of my friends, uh, player friends, girlfriend. Her name was Kathy. That's all I remember. And I had that little green Gideons in my back pocket that I got at Anyway and M when I walked out of that dorm. I, I, I was, I was, oh man, I was like a lucky rabbit's foot. I had that little New Testament with me all the time. And the roughnecks are playing, and I'm usually going, yeah, you know, go, go, Charlie Mitchell. Everybody. I'm sitting there reading my Psalms of the day. And she's sitting over there, and I kind of look at her. She looks at me, Google eyes, you know. So she gets a little bit over. I'm thinking, oh, man, I mean, I have a date or something. She goes, what are you reading? I'm reading my Bible. I know I've been saved maybe two weeks. Read my Bible. Well, what are you reading? Then I read it to her, wherever I was reading. And before that game was over, I'm sitting there, we're just talking about Jesus. And I mean, we're over in the New Testament, we're over in that little Psalms and Proverbs. And then she wants to drag Main Street with me when we get back to Owasso because now she's real interested in this guy that would rather read his little Bible instead of watch Charlie Mitchell kick one from midfield, you know. And we drove up and down Main Street for like three hours. She had every question about my life, how I've changed. I told her about Bruce, my friend that led me to the Lord and everything. And so I say we dated, but all we did was that next day was Sunday. So she let me pick her up and take her to church take her to lunch because I thought, well, that's what Bruce did. I'll take her to church. And we did that for like two weeks in a row, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. She was a senior in high school, so she went to the youth and everything. And all of a sudden, one day, I'm riding with her in her car, and I've got that little Bible out. Boy, I'm just sitting there reading it out loud to her. And all of a sudden, she pulls over to the Bethel Baptist parking lot. She says, you need to stop it. I said, what? She goes, just stop it. I said, you want me to stop reading the Bible? She goes, no, just stop it because I need to get saved right now. I, okay, what do I do now? And I led her through some kind of prayer, but her life changed. Well, God chose the foolishness, a foolish method to open the eyes of people. I'm just taking her to McDonald's. I'm taking her to church. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just telling her what I do know that's true. And God used that foolishness or like words when man looks at it, to open her eyes and get saved. And he says there that God is foolishness to those who are perishing, but those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And all of a sudden, the power of God struck her, and she said, I need to get saved. She had heard enough to finally realize she probably had a need, that there was a God, and she got saved. Then look at verse 21 through 25. God not only gave us a foolish method to open man's eyes, but God gave us, God gave, uh, gets the glory by man when they do that. God gets the glory. Look at verse 21 through 25. Well, I'll just start with 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? 
Where is the disputer of the sage? Are these people that are being all philosophical? Where are they written down the history? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. In other words, through their wisdom, through all their pontificating and philosophical views, they never found God. They talked about God. They talked about the concept of God. My father-in-law said, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God, but there is a God. It's my Jesus. And, you know, he, he pontificated. And he says, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached or heralded to save those who believe, like my friend Kathy. Verse 22. For Jews request a sign. I mean, they want some kind of miracle. Where's your evidence? Where's this miracle? And the Greeks seek after wisdom. You know, they want to pontificate philosophy and, well, how big is God, Joy? And how big is your God? You know, they want to talk about those things. And that's all cool and dandy. But if they ain't coming to no conclusion, they're just talking, right? They're just like talking heads. Verse 23. He says, but instead, we preach... We preach Christ crucified. In other words, he died on the cross for our sins. To the Jews, a stumbling block. That message is, it's a stumbling block because there's no miracle. They don't see a miracle even though there was this miracle conception, sinless life, dying on the cross and raising from the dead. That's Talk about a miracle, but yet that wasn't the sign they were looking for. They're looking for a sign, the Jew is it, and therefore when this other sign happens, which is the true sign of Jesus, it's a stumbling block to him. He says, but to the Jew, it's foolishness. If we start telling things like that, like Sunday morning when we said he was born of a miracle, and all, well, that's a nice little fairy tale. That's not my Jesus, Bill. That's a nice little fairy tale, but thank you. No thank you. And it says it's foolishness to them. So verse 25, or 24 and 25, but to those who are called, that is that effectual call that God gives, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, in God's wisdom through that kind of heralding, that kind of sharing of the truth, whether it's elaborate sharing or just simple sharing, it's just speaking of what you've seen and heard know to be true. God uses that and he says, those who are called, whether they're Jew or, or Greek, all of a sudden the power of God strikes them and, and it shows the wisdom of God. Because that one, when that when Kathy got saved in the car that day, when my when when Bruce saw me get saved that night, although I thanked him for taking me to church, it wasn't about Bruce. It was like, look what God did. He may used to use an agent, or she might have. She didn't say, "Oh, I worship you, Steve." She just knew I was an agent that was sharing truth, and God opened her eyes. And He says, when it happens to the Jew and the Greek, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God that it happens that way because otherwise the foolishness of God he says so therefore the foolishness of God which they say is foolish in preaching the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men in other words when people do get saved through those simple explanations of the truth of the gospel and people get saved God gets the glory they don't want to in turn say oh well, I'm going to worship joy or worship Joel they may respect you higher than maybe they do me because you were part of that element. But they're going to know who God is. And they're going to know what just happened. So he says, God gave us the fool a foolish method to open man's eyes. And, and when that, because of that method, God gets the glory 
when man's eyes are opened, whether they be Jew or Gentile. You ever notice that before in the Bible? God talks about male and female, two different genders, right? And the other kind of, uh, and there's only one human race within the male and female, uh, uh, male and female, only one race, the human race, human race. But then there's Jew and Gentile. You know, us Americans like to hyphenate ourselves a mile long. But listen, you're either Jew or you're Gentile. You're either born of the lineage or, or you're not, and, you, and, and, and you're either lost or you're saved. God boils it down to two things: lost, saved, sheep, goats, Jew, Gentile. And I'm not saying there's anything problem with the hyphenated because I could say I am a German Cherokee Choctaw American you know I guess I mean I can't prove it but I know my grandma and grandpa and I, you know, I could go that route but ultimately I'm just someone here in America who's been born again by the grace of God and so when we think of this God is there a God does he exist of course the answer is yes but we found in the scriptures between Romans 1 2 Timothy 3 and 1 Corinthians 1, that he has revealed himself through nature, that there is at least a God. And if you seek out that information, you find more clarity through the witness of the whole of scriptures. And then God also reveals that there is a God, that he is the God of salvation through the proclamation of his word. And listen, that doesn't just mean when a preacher does it. Because I know that some of you all talk to people about Jesus in different fashions and forms all the time. The idea is heralding, heralding the truth, telling the truth. You don't have to wear a Gucci suit and stand up behind the pulpit to do that, right? Not that I have a Gucci suit. The point is you don't have to be a preacher because we're all ministers of reconciliation. So what I want to encourage you to do tonight is we think about, is there a God? Does he exist? We say, yes, he exists. And these three venues, these three witnesses are out there revealing that, they're, that he's not only a God, of, of a creator, but he's the God who is personal and gives salvation. Well, listen, I want us to think about, as we're putting people on the prayer list, and maybe you don't want to put their name on the prayer list, that's fine. If you do, just give me a first name. But think of someone that you know, you're pretty sure they're lost, and just give a first name. Um, I did that at the little church there at Midway. Of course, we didn't keep a list, because they didn't, anyways, we just didn't have a list, but I kept a list. And we had certain first names that we would pray about. And the reason we would do that is because all I remember is when I came forward that Sunday night, I knew my friend took me to church and he brought me back that Sunday night. But as these little ladies were kissing me and giving me hugs, I'm so glad you're saved, Steve Holstein. They knew my name. I'm like, how do they know my name? I said, well, how do you know my name? She goes, I've been praying for you for three months. Bruce gave us your name. They'd been praying for when he would plant seed. They were just praying for me. And what they didn't know was three months prior to that, I'd already decided life wasn't worth living. I'd already bought me a gallon of whiskey. I was going to drink myself into a coma or something. It was just self-pity. But they didn't know that three months ago, that's when I decided that. But yet they've been praying for me. You see what I'm saying? The power of prayer. And so uh, God can do a lot of things. I even had a girlfriend during those three months, an old girlfriend that I went to visit, and she was a believer. That's why she wouldn't date me anymore. And that's just what it is. But I remember that September before I got saved, I went to go see her in Tulsa somewhere, and she prayed for me. And when those ladies said that, I thought, oh, and she prayed. All of a sudden, this power of God just opened my eyes, and I knew to God be the glory. So as we pray tonight on our prayer list here in a moment, 
be thinking about someone in your heart. And if you don't have a name, that's fine. Say, God, give me a name. Give me a name I can start praying for. Because listen, there's going to be somebody that God's going to put in your path. And you're going to need to have courage, confidence, and God's going to lead you to what you need to say. So did we want to use this prayer list here?